five, six, seven, eight. You've got talent. Let's see what we can do with it. You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. All right, welcome back, Analysis listeners. I want to welcome you because we're right now live and in Technicolor. I want you to pretend like you just heard a 15-minute overture of everything we're going to be talking about. Uh, I want to make sure that my guest today, Julie Sipes, speaks loud and into the microphone. Speak into the bush, Julie. Into the bush. (laughs) I can't make love to a bush! Jewel Sipes, welcome that's quite back. A, that's, that's quite a quote, yes, I've got to say. Yes, exactly. Thank you, thank you, and I'm I'm stepping that much closer to my to being um, forever in the cinema firmament with my cartoon. cartoon. I'm so excited. You have one more to go, and we're going to, you're going to arrive with a big bang. I've already started to brainstorm your cartoon. I think it's going to be something singing in the rain type uh slicker and and tap dance shoes thing but we'll discover that later yeah or if you could make me look like elizabeth Taylor, maybe yeah if you want that too cool yeah we'll figure it out in post but how do you feel right now about the task that i gave you a couple weeks ago in our conversations coming up the next couple weeks how do you feel are you overwhelmed are you excited walk me through your thought process I'm always excited about discussing classic film. Um, the The main things that kind of put me a little on edge is when people approach me, you approach me, anyone approaches me with favorites or listing. Um, we love it here. Because, yeah, I know. And the thing is, is that... Um, I get a little waffly at times, so it's hard because I have so many different um, uh, genres and and things that I'm passionate about. So um, I will tend to meander a little bit. It's hard for me to choose, like choosing a favorite child. But But everyone um, has their favorite child. So at the end of the day, you just have to... (laughs) We all know this is true. We all know this is true. You just have to face the music. No pun I, exactly. And dance, for sure. So with musicals, um, as we talked about in past discussions, I it, it's very dear to my heart. It's very ingrained in my soul. It's a huge part of my history and upbringing and inspiring to me in every way. So um, I never am at loss for words to talk about it and give my opinion. Well, that's all I'm asking for you today. <laughs> so today, in the task that I gave you a couple weeks ago, as I said, you're, you're on podcast number three, you need five to get your cartoon. And yes. I said, we're going to do it like this. And I said, we're going to do a big, fat musicals conversation, but we're going to split it up into two parts because it's it's such a huge genre and, and so many people are so passionate about it and share your passions with it. So today we're recording part one, which is the birth of 
musicals from the 1920s up into the 60s. And then we're going to take a week, we're going to take some time, and then we are going to do what you could consider the modern musical, which is the 70s until now. And the 70s are actually, it's 50 years, the last 50 years, but that's what we can consider modern. But today we're going to be talking about the classics. And so I've done some research now because this was an era or eras of musicals that I had very little to no reference level to outside of maybe Disney. And right. I've watched documentaries on early. I've watched documentaries on on the technology that's come through. So I feel like I've gotten my reference level a little bit up to where I can play with you in this. But we're going to kind of flow decade to decade and talk about some of the movies that we've seen and highlight some of the ones that we really love and respect. Right, right. And I feel that um, from your aspect of the more technical I have to tell you that for a, um, four weeks in 2018, TCM offered a free online course at, um, through Ball State, um, and it was called Mad About Musicals. And I signed up for this free online course, and I've got to say, I, due to scheduling issues, I'm ki- I was kind of... Um, um, uh, how do I say online school dropout? So I dropped. <laughs> I signed up for a class I, I never I dro- took, and that makes me an expert for today. That makes me credible. I dropped out. <laughs> I dropped out um, in the first. It was actually the first week. What which was concentrating on the transition from. <laughs> Um, silent to talkies and it was very technical and it was boring it was the so boring I do, stuff so you bailed you're like beauty school dropout wanted, you're like frenchie i am like i'm like beauty school dropout and i just wanted to sing and dance you i just didn't want to talk Fred about Astaire. foley's i and didn't want to talk Kinetta about Scope. foley's <laughs> <laughs> so i did um I did learn a little bit about that transition, and to be honest with you, I now I've done a little bit more investigating on that level, but you're definitely going to surpass me in the technical Well, aspect. I don't want our listeners to get too bogged down in the tech either, so don't worry. We're not going to spend too much time, yeah. but we're going to spend a yeah. lot of time on the singing and the dancing and the Fred Astaire. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's get into that and let's make our transition uh, into and, and get in your time machine with me, Julie, and head on back to the Roaring Twenties. And this yes. is in, in, in the, the technical piece I wanted to bring up today was just a really important part about Thomas Edison's monopoly over the technology that went into making not only making movies but also distributing and playing movies and so right movies used to be made in new york city where edison was and he based he had a he had patents over all of the all machinery of that went into it and right. it really limited the creatives that were in the art form and so he even had mobsters that would go and enforce these what at the time were early the patents. yeah the, the the early movie studios he would make sure that they were paying up on their patents and, and playing by Edison's rules so if you wanted to make a movie you needed to do so with the blessing of Thomas Edison and then in the 20s that's when the big move to California was and it was basically just to run away from Thomas Edison 
and and get as far away from him on the other side of the country as possible. But also, the state of California had limited patent, or they they weren't as harsh in terms of patent violations as they were in enforcements. Yes, yeah, exactly. And so that's when movie making really went from, according to the documentary I watched online, uh, maybe it was the same course that you were offered at Ball State. I, it wasn't. No, I tried looking it up and they cut me well, off. They were like, get out of here, lady. <laughs> get out You've of here, you filmed. stupid dropout. But exactly. According to this documentary I was watching, that's when filmmaking went from a small craft and kind of a hobbyist type of thing or experimental art form. And it really got into the studio kind of big factory type movie making and that's when they really started to experiment with recording audio and that was the birth of the musical because obviously musicals were very popular on broadway but in terms of film and on in vaude yeah it was very talky it was very actor looks dramatic then placard of whatever they were saying and then back to actor looking dramatic but then um the first thing i wanted to bring up and it's on the afi top 100 was a movie called the jazz singer which was yes. basically a big breakthrough. It was in 1927, and we might talk about this later when we get to Singing in the Rain, I'm Singing guessing. in the Rain, But yeah, yeah the jazz yeah. singer changes the game, and people freak out. And it's still, and I watched it, and it's, I don't want to spend a ton of time on here because it's very dull, but it's, uh, it's, it's a talky movie, but when they, the jazz singer goes to sing, there's pre-recorded audio that syncs up with the the jazz singer right right which revolutionized what they could do as far as the hollywood musical but i and also aren't you amazed at kind of how modern it looks yeah yeah it the jazz singer it is interesting it's it's i I mean for again what considers modern (laughs) you might right right as far as when you're thinking about the the place it is historically and you're looking at it and you're thinking it would be more uh, I don't know how to say it. More old time. Yeah, you're but almost thinking it. It actually nah, nah, looks nah. very clear. Yeah, yeah. it's ninety three years but old. There's, and and it's a lot of people think that it's straight up musical, but it's actually there are just a few musical segments. Yeah, it's still very. In it. ta- it's it's a ta- it's a it's a placard type movie, and then there's the there's a few segments where the music plays. It's almost like they're demonstrating the new technology a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, it was a huge, it was a, that was the game changer, really. And so then they're, because it's so huge, there's this huge rush and they are basically, they go to, they start making about 130, what you would consider musicals a year where they're just cranking them out. They're, they're very limited artistically. They're plotless. Yeah. And people kind of get burned out by it, plus the depression's hitting. And it's not until 42nd Street when people really start to appreciate the artistic form in musicals. So I kind of want to launch into, in terms of our breaking down of movies, I want to start with 42nd Street. Right. Right. What are your opinions of it? 42nd Street. is you know it's fine and i appreciate it for what it did historically and the fact that they had brought in um the more elaborate um sequences with dance and all of the different um zigfeld type of um 
panoramic view type of things where people could move. Yeah. I mean, before that, when they figured out the pre-recorded soundtrack, they were limited to that camera being in a soundproof booth. Because the cameras were so noisy. They were so noisy, so they didn't want to pick up the noise of the camera, so the camera had to be stationary in a soundproof booth, so everything that was being filmed had to be in, you know, in a flat stage-like environment, where with the pre-recorded soundtrack, the camera could move, which is huge, because it could be aerial, it could be behind, it could be in front, so that, that part of it, I appreciate that historical part. Um, and Ruby Keeler is fine. You know, actors and actresses wise, 42nd isn't a huge one for me. Um, I tended to go, of course, with Fred and Ginger and that whole um, Depression era glamour, um, trying to make everybody feel better, uh, escapist yeah. sort of plots. So I'm definitely bigger fan of the Fred and Ginger takeover. But 42nd Street, I do appreciate its historical contribution for sure. What were what were your impressions of from someone that's not a musical watcher? So it's it's almost funny how poorly it dates itself. And it, for a movie that's made yes. so long ago in the in the late 20s or early 30s, it's of course it's going to be dated. But I'm like, good God, this is Harvey Weinstein almost celebrated oh. to where... So the, the movie is about, if for, for, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are just like, get to West Side Story, assholes. But <laughs> this movie is about, uh, which a lot of early musicals were putting on a show. And so putting on a it's, show. A, it's this Broadway thing and this this actress has to sleep with this rich millionaire to get him to back this, to, to be an angel investor in this show that they're putting on. But it's very, um, you know, girl comes off the train, she gets kind of thrown into this production whirlwind style, but there's a lot of pressure put on the performers by the director who needs this to be a hit for his own future. Needs it to be a hit. And so he is running his actors into the ground and they're collapsing and he's, you know, oh, she broke her ankle? Well, I wish she broke her neck. Get her out of here. And there's there's like 20 different (laughs) There's a lot of drinking. And it's it's very, it's it's very, very... Terrible Very... in almost the way it celebrates the way that performers were treated back then in in Broadway or old Hollywood. So uh, tough to watch, but the really the magic of it is in this last sequence where they finally put on the show and the the camera starts to the, like Julie said it, it it's revolutionary in terms of the way they were able to shoot the choreography and the choreography is is beautiful and it was even there's there's throwbacks that or at least there's Movies that I've seen and appreciated where I saw the influence of 42nd Street on, particularly Big Lebowski. Oh, yeah. for sh- Influenced so many. The plot as far as the the girl, the lead getting injured and the girl stepping in and getting her chance. Yeah. is That plot has been recycled many times. But, yeah, the Busby Berkeley type of... Um, choreography is has been used many times yeah. after that in there's a sequence have you seen big lebowski it's been okay. years not since there's yeah. a sequence where he's tripping out 
and he goes into this dream sequence and it's all these dancers and and the legs form a little TP pyramid and he like yes, floats underneath yes. but it's the joke is that he floats underneath their skirts and he turns around and he looks up all their skirts but it's <laughs> it's and it's all that kaleidoscope type and right. it's basically Busby Berkeley it's, it's, it's yeah. a direct homage to that which I've never appreciated until I was actually watching that final moment and going big Lebowski oh my god I get it now yeah, yeah. so that was that yeah. was the, the thing to note but it also um starts to be the birth of needing talented people to perform this it's not just people are no longer enamored with the capturing of audio but they also want talent to couple with it so that's the kind of birth of ginger rogers and fred astaire right and there were there were issues of course that we would probably talk about when we get to singing in the rain which basically is a microcosm of uh everything that we're talking about right now but where you had silent film stars that were fabulous and silent but didn't transfer vocally to to talkies or to mute they weren't musical dancing stars so then they would go to broadway and vaudeville and try and corral up um actors and actresses from there to come in and fill in the void where um you know a gloria swanson or uh, you know a charlie chaplin you know couldn't do these same things and there are i'm um a few fred and ginger movies um, where someone like James Stewart will show up and he'll be singing very badly Cole Porter, which, you know, they got James Stewart off of Broadway and thought, well, we'll try putting him in musicals and obviously a wonderful actor, but that was not, not his thing, really his shtick. So you, you would see that happen. And when they found Fred Astaire, um, it's, it's in the Hollywood lore that, um, his I think his screen test it was written um sings a little dances a little had like a light bulb might you know might work out and he ended up being one of the most influential um actors in that that Hollywood golden era so um yeah Fred was a huge game changer and then so he does this movie I think he does a lot of movies but at the time the the big one the breakthrough was Top Hat Right. Because that's got right. heaven. heaven. Right, right. And, and, and this is also a time in Hollywood where the um, songwriter suddenly was involved in production and the choreographers were getting more and more involved in production. The choreographers were so becoming they, stars themselves. Yes. So they needed to... Um, get this talent in very quickly and really what came out of it were songs that we still listen to now and are still being interpreted by artists today so you get your Irving Berlin's your Harry Warren your Harold Arlen um of course Cole Porter and um they this music was written for it to be um, interpreted by a beautiful voice or in the case of Fred Astaire where it was more kind of talking and singing at the same time so they weren't that Broadway style that people are used to now like let it go you know the song from Frozen the songs weren't like that they were more um, 
easily interpreted by a number of different voice levels. Well, and also, wasn't it that they were the songs were already composed and they kind of build the plot of the movie? It, well, really, the the music doesn't necessarily drive the plot yet in this type. No, of, but the, the, the exactly sometimes the songs get dropped in that were already composed by someone or by the composer, and then it's just and then they incorporate them in, into the story. Right. Any excuse, any excuse along or the, the not at all. It's, it's not establishing the character. It's not, um, it's not moving the plot. And that, that was, um, most of the thirties until we got to something like, uh, wizard of Oz. Okay. Well, let's get into the thirties. So then we're trucking along in our time machine. So little, yeah, which, you know, me, I love the time machine. Get, you know, get me out of here. We're out of the (laughs) twenties. So, uh, we're, we're past that. So the thirties is considered the golden age of movies and might be considered the golden age of musicals, but that's when you really start to get Arthur freed and his launch of, of, or his, uh, freed unit, which is taking place. He's basically his, he's a, a musical, uh, movie maker and he gets his own unit inside of NGM. Yes. He has his own factory within a factory. Yes. And he obviously partners up with the wizard of Oz and, and he gets with, um, Harold Darlin when they get together to put, to do this, he actually is responsible for, um, remaking these people into all around performers, triple threats. So he's making sure that everyone goes through diction and everyone goes through dance and everybody goes through their paces in order to be at a level where they can perform in, in all of the different um, types of musical. So he was a real taskmaster for sure. Um, he was responsible for grooming the top musical stars of that time. And especially so. Julie Garland. And yes. we did a couple, our last month we did a whole episode on Judy Garland, but the, the big product out of this, this decade was the wizard of Oz. So if we're going to talk about musicals, we have to come back to the wizard of Oz. So the wizard of Oz iconic. There's, I'm sure there's 4,000 high schools doing the production right now. Right. Right. Timeless. Um, and as we talked about in the, you know, when we've had our discussions about it in the past, um, it, it changed things in a lot of ways. Well, it came out in 1939, which for, um, MGM was, you know, it's considered still the greatest year in film, I guess, you know, I would imagine, but, um, it, it, the different things that were happening as far as they were taking the musical out of, I think I talked to you about this before, where the musicals in the early 30s were, let's put on a show. Yeah, the plot of the show and was the like, whole your, your show problems was the will show. be solved. <laughs> All of your problems right now, little girl, will be solved if we just put this show on. And, and the, it was on a stage and the musical numbers were on a stage and everybody would stop and be watching the musical number on the stage, very similar to when you see a Broadway show. But when the sound changed, the cameras changed, and the music changed to uh, 
propel the plot and develop characters, that's when um, movies like The Wizard of Oz were possible. And also it brought in um, the Technicolor effects, which, you know, we never looked back after that. But it um, the, the characters were singing in as part of the plot instead of Judy getting up on a stage and singing. She would just be singing in the barnyard. And it was part of propelling mm-hmm. the plot. It which, became more plot Which driven. was a big change. Yeah, exactly. I know you discussed it a little bit when we did the Judy Garland conversation. But yeah. can you go, just for yeah. the people who haven't heard that yet, can you go back over what Somewhere Over the Rainbow means to you and how you'll never sing it if anyone has? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the song itself, no one, of course, has sung it like Judy and specifically Judy in that film. Um, Even when she did pop recordings of it um, that they would play on the radio that were separate from the film, they're still not as, as incredible as that singular performance. But she had told her daughter, Liza, and um, also she has a daughter, Lorna. And she, she basically said to her kids, I don't care if I'm alive. I don't care if I've been dead for 50 years. You are not allowed to ever sing that song. And I myself have taken upon myself to never, I have never sung that song in public. And I, I've i sung professionally for years, and I've had that requested of me. Yes, yes. Siren, where's the sound effect? <laughs> Where, where are my horns? And I never, um, I've never, I've always declined. It's just. So you're, you're um, Judy's daughter through delusion. I'm, I honestly, I told you in my, in my college years when I had a coach, a voice coach, he said to me, um, you clearly have been imitating Judy Garland for a very long time, and I need you to stop right now because it's not working. You have to sing for yourself and develop your own style. And But I was very, very um, motivated by the combination she had of the emotional um, attachment to whatever she sang. And she and you had pointed out in our discussion that everyone should listen to, that she was also a great comedic actress. And she, um, yeah, just a legendary performer in general. Yeah. But if you guys want more on Judy Garland, we did a whole conversation on her. Go listen to that. Who, what's your favorite non-Dorothy character in that show? In Wizard yeah. of Oz? Um, uh, the Scarecrow. Yeah. Gotta love Scarecrow. Yeah. They seem to have a romantic um, connection. Because she says at the end, she says, you're, and I'm going to miss you the most, Scarecrow. And it's right in front of yeah. the rest of the crew. And they're like, what the <laughs> fuck? There's a couple moments. Remember me? Yeah, there's a yeah, couple I what know. the fuck moments. The, the Tin Man just yeah. releases that balloon. The, oh, the yeah. Tin Man just, undoes the rope. Just, 
it just takes yeah why what what is the motivating factor for I, that i really i have no idea we can't explain it the only thing that i always defer to in those moments where you're kind of saying why is that back in the day they weren't planning on us watching it 500 times yeah they're like no one will catch this so they're oh they're, <laughs> no one will catch that he's just untying it and that and i think that they did have the most chemistry um just in their friendship they were the there they were together the longest in their journey you know the wicked witch scared the hell out of me as a kid as i'm sure she did many children many sensitive little children um but a a, a great performance yeah. i mean she was she really mixed things up with her flying monkeys i mean i that was she was necessary for sure did you see the so, snl bit where will ferrell and all the was, all the town it was short people come to talk to it was one of it was one of my favorites like well what did we what what jobs that. were we at what about were me we lawyers and doctors <laughs> like we are now it was, it's like no you're candy people it, <laughs> it's so politically we're incorrect. dressed like dolls what <laughs> Screw you. It was really one of the best kits I've seen in a very long time. I loved okay. it. But, um, yeah, there's, you know, that movie is, um, it does stand the, the test of time. And I've got to say, it's um, predominantly because of the music. Yeah. I And, yeah, so the performances are good and everything. But the, the songs are so beautifully written. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's in in 39. I mean, everywhere you turn, there were these incredible films and that one's definitely the top. So Arthur Freed also had done Easter Parade. Yeah, a lot of and then, of course, we were talking about the, the kind of backyard musicals or let's put on a show type of musical strike up the band. Girl right, crazy. the Mickey, Mickey and Judy. Yeah, yeah Mickey and Babes Judy. Um, and that's going into the 40s and. Those were, um, they had franchises. So if something clicked, like uh, Mickey Rooney and his family, Judge Hardy, they had one film, and I don't even think it was, it, I don't know if Andy Hardy was even in the title. And the film did so well that they immediately started churning out one Andy Hardy movie after another. And then they figured out the magic between Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. And so she was constantly this little kind of dowdy next door neighbor that would show up. And, um, um, that was a, that was a juggernaut of there were, I, I think there were probably 10 to 12 of those in that series. So once they clicked on something, they would really, um, churn them out. Any sure. of those you want to highlight? I know you love Meet Me in St. Louis. Well, yeah. I mean, Easter Parade and um, Paulina and... Your daughter. Um, Akia. Yes, Akia. The, the kids. We still watch it every year at Easter time. Um, the Irving Berlin music in Easter Parade is... is um, is also timeless, excellently written... Um, the dancing Ann Miller is in that. She was a big tap dancer of that era. The Technicolor, Peter Lawford. It has all of the, um, you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. It's a very simple plot, but it's brought together with 
these um, classically written songs and dance numbers. And so for me, that's one of my top MGM musicals of the 40s. And in the 40s, um, Vincent Minnelli uh, came into the picture and did a, a lot for, once again, the plot-driven musical. And he featured Judy, his, his wife, Bobo. in these. Yeah. And so um, Meet Me in St. Louis, I would say, is in my top five. Musicals of all time. Uh, musicals. Yeah. Absolutely. As, this is going to be it, interesting. I yeah. want to explore this as we go through this. Have we? Is this the first of your top five that we've heard of so far? Let me just say that. I want you to reveal your top five as yes. we go along. Okay. Yes. So this is yes, the first. Is. So Wizard yes. of Oz is not in your top five. No, okay. it's not. Interesting. No. Okay, but and me, and me, I me don't and I don't know why that is. You know, once again, I'm going to go back to your conversation that you had with. I think you had this conversation with Matt about what's your favorite and what is best. Best what versus is favorite. The yes, best. We do it all the time because you can think something for this year was a great example where Parasite was the best movie this year, but it was not my favorite movie this year. My favorite movie right, was Marriage right. Story. But it's Marriage Story, right. And so I think for me, um, Wizard of Oz it it. I would say in top musicals, I'd put it in the top 10, but I think that um, Meet Me in St. Louis is a better musical. Okay. Well, I think, I <laughs> so think that's where favorite I am on versus that. best is you can appreciate something's greatness, right. but it doesn't. it's not connecting right. to you on an emotional level. The pathos isn't connecting with you uh, to, a, to a degree where you would say it's a favorite, but it, I mean, again, we're splitting hairs. I mean... Wizard of Oz is is all time and, and is very special. Would you say would you say it's would you say it's in yours? No. If somebody were to add, yeah. See, I just I, maybe <laughs> one of the reasons I've been so oversaturated. The man, the I've ten... watched. I've seen it. I've seen a billion different variations, whether it's stage or this movie a ton of right. times. Right. Wicked. Where, yeah, I mean, wicked, all yeah. the different interpretations. I guess it's just kind yeah. of. Um, and again, and you're introduced that... to it so young to where you connect to it at a nostalgic point, but in my adult years, it's not something that I'm finding. That's a lot. my. That's and it's also for kids. My point exactly. It's a movie for kids. It's for kids. So. Yeah, it's and I, you know, I can go back to that Saturday Night Live skit. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I yeah. mean, there's it's, so yeah. That's so that's why I think musically, and as far as what it did historically, it should be in the top ten, but I not in top. Five. What's your favorite song in Meet Me in St. Louis? Oh my gosh! Well. uh have yourself a merry little Christmas. I would have to say I can't not cry when I hear it. So are you um, crying right now? Yep. <laughs> I, I honestly <laughs> felt like I, I felt like I heard you choke a little bit. I uh, yeah no I honestly just thinking about it. Wow. What about it does it for you? Yeah. Tell me more. Um. It well, it's I I it's her performance. Okay. I think I've heard other people sing it. And of course, we're certainly inundated with it during the holiday season. And I tune it out when I ever hear, when I hear someone else singing it. But I think it's the context. Well, what's the context? Walk me in through the film, it. Because I can't remember. In it's the not film. one of my rewatches. There, you know, 
Okay, so in Meet Me in St. Louis, it's a really basic plot. And what elevates the film is the performances of the different actors in the film and the music, of course. And basically, it's about a family in St. Louis, and they're getting ready for um, uh, the fair, the state fair. Meet and me the at dad, the fair. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the dad decides that he's going to move the, the family to New York. As one does. And that's the plot. That's <laughs> And the family doesn't want to go. And that's the plot. And so when you explain it to people, they say, and... And that I say, no, that's basically it. The dad decides to move the family to New York and they don't want to go. And everybody says, well, and that's it. But it's it um, it hits on so many different levels of romance and comedy and family and um, uh, nostalgia, even though I wasn't. It takes place at the turn of the century, but. It just has um, a, a sense about it that is sentimental without being smarmy. Is and it that is it a familial? She's singing it to her family, and she's wishing them. She so what happens and have have yourself a merry little Christmas is her little sister um, is looking out the window and she's looking at all these snowmen that they built outside and. She says, you know, I don't want to go to New York. I want to stay here in St. Louis. And Judy Garland tells her that, you know, no matter what happens, they have each other. And she sings that okay. song. And that gets you. you you've yeah. got little sisters. Yeah, you, I'm crying again. I'm crying. You've got your sisters. See? Yeah, and, yeah and I just, yeah. And if anybody, even they actually, it's so pathetic. They, they, they used the song this holiday season in an H&M commercial. <laughs> um, and every time I heard it playing on the TV for H&M, of all things, I'd start crying. They're like... I mean, Mimi would be like, Mom... Have yourself you, a skinny you, jean and Christmas. It's, <laughs> yeah. Buy your new t-shirts now. These I mean, graphic tees so are only $12 for you. <laughs> but it was her. It was literally they did Judy Garland singing in the background. And it would be a little kid laying on the floor cutting snowflakes. And I'd be hysterical. So it's that's my favorite one. But I also love the song The Boy Next Door, which is at the beginning of the film. Judy Garland discovers that she has a massive crush on the boy next door who the actor's name is Tom Drake and he was as cute as a button and he was a big teen idol in that time and Judy Garland actually had a giant crush on him but it turned out that he was gay so it didn't work out so that's another one of Judy's thwarted that we talked about in the other podcast that some some that people should listen to if they haven't But yeah, so she's singing this song about Tom Drake and she's on the front porch of her house and she's singing and it's, she's not on a stage. They're not stopping the, they're not stopping the action of the film. She just breaks into the song. And then of course there's the famous song, um, you know, ding, 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 (laughs) great. Which actually is my least, is on my least in that movie, and do you know why? Because everyone else I'm, loves it? 
And you want to be contrarian? <laughs> no, it's because of the women on SNL that used to sing it back in the... Do you remember those two women that used to sing in the yeah, the Yeah, I remember them. The sisters... And and they would go back to they would sing bridge over troubled waters and somehow they would figure out a way to take it to the trolleys. The trolleys. So and that that's one of the main reasons why it's my least. But I do, um, and it is I am being contrarian because it is probably everybody's favorite. But two SNL drops before we've even got to the fifth. I know. Shout out to SNL if you guys have There's ever seen more that to little come. program. So let's <laughs> more let's to take come. it from Judy. Let's get back in our time machine. We're gonna move a little forward ahead now to uh, I. So, admittedly, have not seen a Gene Kelly movie in its entirety. I don't think in my life. But since my rewatch for this podcast, he is my favorite musical star. So I want to talk about an American in Paris. And then okay. I want to talk about the best damn musical that's ever existed, Singing in the Rain, which I rewatched yesterday. But let's start with An American in Paris. Okay, so one thing that you have to know about Gene Kelly is that a lot of times when musical, aficion- musical movie aficionados get together to talk, which I'm sure you probably don't have these discussions that often... One of the big questions that'll come up is who, who, what, who do you like better, Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly? And when Gene, it's not even close. Well, when Gene Kelly came into the program, he, he, he he's a completely different dancer. It's not even the same thing. He's an athletic but dancer. He's, he's an athletic like a dancer. Player. It's amazing right. the things he can right. do. Right. And I, I think that for me, I have always preferred Gene Kelly because I, for me, it's not a stretch for me to think of this guy, you know, just breaking into a, a dance sequence on the street because he's just, he's a very good looking guy, but he's just this guy. He's just this average guy that happens to just move like heaven where Fred Astaire was more like an upper crust gentleman in a tuxedo. Gene Kelly was dancing around with his high-waisted jeans. So it's a totally different, he appealed more. I think that um, a typical guy would, would not have a problem with watching a movie with Gene Kelly in it because he was much more athletic. Um, to watch so um he when he started in his career he started in a really small role that he got notoriety for with judy garland um i think it was um for me and my gal and it's if you ever get a chance to watch it's a wonderful movie and you can see the beginnings of how he is going to move forward and be the big star that he is but as he started going through his career, he started getting more and more um, influence and, I guess, power, creative creative license in the films that he was in. So American in Paris, he literally talked Freed into letting him have that 
20 minute sequence at the end of the film, which was unheard of in that time. Gene Kelly was the person that said, I want to have this plot go along. And then all of a sudden it's going to stop and there's going to be this 20 minute ballet dance sequence at the end. It is kind of out of nowhere, but you're just so captivated by it that you're not complaining at all. Oh, well, no. And you're, you've got Gershwin. I mean, you have this incredible music and then he handpicked Leslie Caron for that role. And she was just this little girl and this little ballerina that he had found in Paris. And he said, I want you to cast this girl this unknown girl is the lead in this movie. And they're, you know, they're like, okay, we don't usually do this, but you're Gene Kelly, so okay. And so she got cast in that role. I mean, he he really had a lot of creative so power. The, not the woman who's the buying his art. So No, 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 no. The the his love oh, interest. Man. So let me let me start with this. Some things. So these are the first time I've ever seen this movie was this week. Which is which makes me sad because I'm thinking that you probably, I don't know why I didn't show it to you before. Now, Maybe but you anyway. tried, but I was I was watching Jurassic Park forty thousand times. Maybe. So, so the first thing is I love I love how it opens and he's doing the he's doing oh. the, the monologue over the top and he says if you can't paint in Paris you better give up and marry the boss's daughter and I was like what a great <laughs> what a great line to open yeah, up the show yeah absolutely because he's this painter he's you know he was in the war he's this painter and then it opens in this little rinky dink apartment so it shows these two lovers right. and then it pans up and he's you know he's like getting his takeout delivered to him and the, the door can't even open because his bed's in there and then he goes through this whole elaborate bit where he's like putting the 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 iron down so he can lift the table up and I'm like this is like Pee-wee's apartment. He like kicks the thing he's, and then I, the zipper down. He's in his little artist garret. His milk is outside of his window, his bed go he has a little rope that pulls his bed up to the ceiling. And the thing about um that particular scene is that Paulina and I when we would when she was in um Madison and she'd say, I looked at this apartment today and it's pretty cheap. And I'd say, is it like the apartment in American in Paris? Like, is, it, is it like his apartment <laughs> in American in Paris? That was like, you know, how big is the apartment? Is it Gene Kelly big? And that's how we judged, you know, living quarters was based on that scene in American in Paris. Because it's in its... The way he moves, it's so fluid. Yeah, it's almost dancing it's the way beautiful. he moves. Almost everything he does, his his movement throughout an entire movie, both the movies I watched at least, it's he he almost dances in in scenes where he's not dancing. He, he just his movement is is so spectacular. He's on air. He's on air, and he's not a light person. No, he's he's, he's built, a beast. He's a he's, he's like a, a hefty yeah, guy. Uh, and and I'll talk about some of the way that manifests itself in Singing in the Rain. But in Gene Kelly loves his windmill dancing. He loves to windmill. Yes. <laughs> yes, he did. He does. He loves to dig trenches. Yes, he's he digging his trench. That. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> he, I, I really liked another moment of this movie that I really liked was when the his his friend, the 
the pianist um, is okay. Can doing we his talk? Fantasies. Can we talk about that after you make after you make your point? I want to talk about his friend that's the pianist. So he does so. that fantasy where he's playing every instrument yes. and he's on the Glockenspiel and he's doing the, the gong. <laughs> and that was pretty creative filmmaking for the time. I'm imagining way ahead of its time. But are you thinking to yourself at any point? Are you thinking why is this section? In this movie, (laughs) it just comes in there, right? And it's a way to showcase Oscar Levant's talents um, in in the film. So he's more, he's just more than a kooky best friend. I mean, he has these, he, um, that particular actor um, is a prodigy, a brilliant musician, clearly, and they would, in a lot of musicals, including Bandwagon, and um, he's in a couple of them, they figure out a way to segue this Oscar Levant that's not particularly attractive. He's not really no. that great of an actor. And they just seem to stick him in. He kind of looks like Fred Armisen. <laughs> yes. I mean, and I'm thinking... Wow, people watching this movie have to kind of wonder why this whole section is in here. And, I mean, it is. It's for fun, and it's also to, um, you know, it's the big Hollywood musical where they're just adding all of these giant sequences because they can. Mm -hmm. And Oscar Levant is one of those people. If you keep watching musicals, you will see that he'll crop up and you'll think, why is this man even in I'll, here? I don't even I'll say, know. oh my God, it's Fred Armisen again. Oh, there he is again. <laughs> What's he doing? And it's yeah. funny because Fred Armisen also plays a bunch of instruments and they used him as a multi-purpose At- guy. Again on SNL. We got to stop talking about SNL. In the new- <laughs> I was going to say, there he is again. Oh my God, people are... Sound ev- yeah. Ring the alarm every time we talk about SNL. Okay, anyway. You've got so to. So that opening sequence where his friend is, is explaining to him this woman that he's met and he keeps... He's like, oh, is she like a shy, dainty type? Yeah. It, and oh, she's doing yes. all of the ballet routines to manifest the, the image that he has in his Her, her personality. Uh, yeah. That is so attractive. I was just, I was into that. I, do you notice, do you notice that, and I'm, I'm really almost positive that Gene Kelly choreographed all of that, but um, he... He's very, very, um, he knows how to choreograph provocative dance sequences um, for these musicals for his dance partners. Because, uh, of course, I'm going to talk about this one again because it is considered the greatest musical, but Singing in the Rain, he choreographs uh, that sequence for Sid Charisse. And that is a very provocative dance Mm. sequence in Singing in the Rain. But, um, yeah, I love, love um, when they're discussing Lise. I think that's her name, the character in American in Paris. And they're two men that are obviously talking about the same woman, and they've got the different perspective of her personality. And it's all explained in yeah, dance. Yeah, that was so cool, but so, also yeah. very just... Yes, very attractive. Yeah. This movie won uh, six Academy Awards, including Best Picture for Arthur Freed, uh, Best Writing and Story, 
best choreography for the the choreographers uh best uh it won a few other things uh, and best yeah. director for vincent it Minnelli. was huge so yeah just a yeah, huge it was smash huge. success it, it was the biggest movie of the year and it was vincent's time it was vincent's time and um it was it was ahead of its time and and particularly considered that because of that um dance sequence at the end that was considered so close to a ballet in and of itself and they i he met with some pushback on it because they thought that it would you know that it would they'd lose the audience with it and it it just it had the opposite effect so. well and then just Another great staple of musicals, and this is really the first example in terms of the movies we've referenced to this, but just the costuming and how important costuming is. And really, musicals, when they're done well, it's this escapism, and people go to be inspired and whisked away in this kind of musical magic. Yeah, that's the, uh, yeah, it's the whole reason. I mean, it's until you get to the 70s, it's the whole reason for it being there is the escapism and the glamour and the, you know, the the um, opulence and also dealing with the costuming with the Technicolor. Yeah. I mean, that was just a vital part of it. And so that sequence, that dance sequence in American in Paris, significant costuming and lighting changes all through these different sequences at the end. And... Um, did you say that it won Oscar for costuming? Yes. Mm-hmm. If it did, yeah. yeah, it's really it's, stunning. It's beautiful. It's... it's beautiful, and you have to be able to dance. So that's another part of it. But one other argument that um my children would bring up to me about Gene Kelly specifically in American in Paris is, you know, he's always complaining about trying to make a living. You know, he's this starving artist. He's this painter. And kids would look at me and they'd say, well, why doesn't he just become a professional dancer? And I'm like, I don't You're know. You're pretty good, dude. You don't why need the <laughs> Why don't she just dance? Yeah. And that never occurs to him. It's like, uh-huh, but, no way. But, you know, that's Hollywood. That's Hollywood. <laughs> He's probably thinking, why do I have to make money at what I'm good at? Why can't I make money at what I'm passionate about? Right, exactly. Um, the paintings yeah. are pretty whack, so. The, yeah, exactly. Oh, his, exactly. his art exhibitions. But... Uh, we can we can put a, a ribbon and a button on, on American in Paris and move to yeah. what I've been waiting for, which is Singing in the Rain. So yes. uh, directed by and choreographed Arthur. by Gene yeah. Kelly. So imagine yes. Ryan Gosling doing La La Land, but also directing it and doing the fucking choreography. I don't think so. Yeah. Right? No. And I, I, we will talk about La La Land eventually. And Part two. I, yeah. So, um, the, that is another, you know, we talked about earlier about how in this musical theater, and I really feel that the 1950s, they got all that talent together. And, um, they were utilizing those creative performers at their at their best, and Gene, they let Gene Kelly run with it. He was the king, and he um, singing in the rain is still, and I believe rightfully so, considered the greatest musical. Yes. It's real quick. Yeah, it's on the AFI it's, top one hundred. 
is the top ranked musical. Right. So there's only about six movies that are in the AFI top 100. This is the highest ranked at number 10. But right. pretty right. widely considered. And, and I went in knowing that, but was very open-minded in terms of what I was going to see. But I was really completely blown away by Singing in the Rain. By how great it yes. is. And, and, and that, another thing about Singing in the Rain, too, is that we've seen people take little bits out and interpret it and sing the songs and do all those different things. But there, that combination of all of those talents together and the young Debbie Reynolds, who really, if you think about it, she had never danced a step and was cast in that film to dance with Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor. And, you know, honest, this is another thing that I talk to musical people about is that Donald O'Connor, if he would have just, this is, once again, I talk to you about people's physical, I don't like to consider that, but he was as great physically of a dancer as Gene Kelly, if not more talented than Gene Kelly, but he just didn't look like Gene Kelly. So he was never cast in those romantic lead roles. But you talk about athleticism. I mean, Donald O'Connor was incredible. The Be a Clown scene. I was going to say, that's my scene. favorite number in this movie. Is make, you can't a, Make them laugh. Is You're, it called be, is Make them laugh. Make them yeah. laugh. I'm sorry. Be a Clown, it, they use the same music, but they use different lyrics in five different movies. They use that same um, same song, but they just put different lyrics in. That's another musical movie trick that they did. But um, yeah, it's Make Them Laugh is exhausting. I mean, it's incredible to and watch. And the bit, the work he's doing with the dummy, all of the, amidst all of this really technical dancing, he's got the, uh, the vaudeville or the. Uh, what's the term the pantomime bits going on yeah oh physical humor i mean he's face mimicry he's the best he's the best kooky best friend in film in my opinion and he when they do um noses supposes their toeses Mm -hmm. or roses when they go to see the diction coach that one scene they have to go and learn how to speak for the talkies and that particular dance sequence, also incredible, athletic, exhausting, and Donald O'Connor kills it, um, but never, ever really played a leading man, always was the kooky best friend, the sidekick. There's, there's, there's something that is important about that, though, and, and those characters yes, are always the yes. ones when people go home and they have their dinner, those are the ones that people talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. The most interesting. And so when when Debbie Reynolds got that role, she she was in dance classes. You know, you know how Louis B. Mayer, we talked about him in in that other podcast. Um, He put her in dance classes where she was dancing and blood was, you know, coming out of her shoes, that kind of thing to get her up to speed to be in that role. And then that Gene Kelly has this part where he interrupts the plot again (laughs) and brings in this six foot tall, sexy brunette lady that he dances with for, I don't know, 10 (laughs) minutes. And she's not even the love interest. Gene. 
Does that, did that, did, did, did you find that? Yeah. Were well, you asking yourself why? I'm is also that giving way? it up for this era in that things happen that aren't plot related, but are just there for aesthetics. And so but, I'm like, yeah. oh, this is just a, yeah. this is just a woman that he's, it's a weird kind of fantasy. It's a fantasy, fantasy sequence. sequence that he's having. And you just kind of go, okay. And, and uh, so, okay, I, I'm going to buy it. And so then the other part of it is that that dance sequence that Gene Kelly choreographed and put in the film um, is really 42nd Street. It's like he took 42nd Street and boiled it down to 10 minutes and kind of stuck it in there because a lot of the music and a lot of the um, the dance sequences were based on 42nd oh, okay. Street. So it's like, gotta dance, you know, all of that. Well, there's a lot of cool things happening plot-wise here. Right, because first of all, let's break yes. it down. So this movie's set yes. in the twenties. It's made in the fifties, or what is it? It's made in the fifties. It's the fifties. Yeah, I think but it's, it's set in the twenties, and it's coming. And the plot is almost very similar to the artist, which which I had seen and I thought was okay. But it was where yeah, I loved. The he's artist. a he's a a silent movie star. And came from a modest background, so maybe life imitating art, a little bit of that, started started as a stuntman. But he starts to get notoriety and fame with his silent movies, and the jazz singer comes out, and the head of the yes. studio goes, we need to pivot. We need to start making, including the one, the movie that we're shooting at this very moment, we need to make this into a talkie. And so the yes. middle of the movie is them trying to transition this movie into a talkie, which is why they're hiding microphones in a bush and that whole bit which that I had at the top of our the podcast. Best. But the the other supporting actress, so the the Gene Hagen plays Lena, who's oh, this Lena Lamont, this terrible. She's she's this silent movie Very star, beautiful like, blonde, but has like a yeah. New York kind of. Oh, she's she's the best. And her character she's the work best. is so great. And there's this bit where she goes, "I can't stand him." St- <laughs> when she goes to see Phoebe yeah, Dinsmore, they're trying to give her these, um, these these line readings, the diction lessons. And she's just, just I can't stand him. And, and I can't. Stand there it is. <laughs> yeah, she's the best. She's the best. And I think that um that. Uh, Jean Hagen was nominated for an she Oscar was. for yeah, that role. Yeah, she was. Yeah, and and she, I she's just there are so many lines that I've quoted from from Lena Lamont through my whole life, and it's just it's one of the best characters. So good. I just think she's fabulous. and even Gene Kelly goes, she can't sing, she can't dance, she can't act, she's a triple threat. <laughs> she's a triple threat. She's a triple threat. <laughs> Exactly, but exactly. It's, it's and, and really, Gene Kelly in both of these movies, there's not a lot of subtlety happening. It's He's very hammy, uh, but uh, it's... And, coming from the silent era. Coming well, from the silent him, era. The, him, the actor. It, or him and Gene Kelly at, is the actor ham. Gene Kelly. Like, this is yeah, the time is. where oh, there's for still sure. a lot of hamming going on in, in musicals. We haven't gotten to kind of... There's not a lot of subtlety. stakes or subtlety happening in, in this genre which is fine it's it's fun and uh but so and then that's when you start working in the the voice dubbing and everything so it was really cool because i'm they didn't know that i'm doing this experiment right now so a a week ago i watch 
the jazz singer and then i'm going oh what a cool idea for this musical and it's kind of it's also celebrating that the history of musicals in it and then there's this whole broadway number towards the end where they're actually where they're they're pitching it's a fantasy about the 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 number they're gonna put on but it's just spectacular and uh you also just have fun bits in there too the the good morning song Good morning, good morning. Well, and I mean, and that a lot of the songs that are in Singing in the Rain are taken from early musicals like Broadway Melody, which was one of the early musicals from the early 30s. A lot of these songs they repurposed and put in um, Singing in the Rain and and brought them back to the front again. But the, the thing about the dubbing that I also think is very interesting is that they have Kathy Selden, the character, Debbie Reynolds' character, come in to dub Lena because Kathy Selden has a singing voice and she wants to be, you know, a bigger actress. So they bring her in to dub Lena, but inevitably, by the time Singing in the Rain came out, they dubbed Debbie Reynolds' voice dubbing Lena's voice. So when Debbie Reynolds is speaking for Lena... That's not Debbie Reynolds' voice, and she's not singing for Lena either. So it's like dub upon dub. I had no idea. It's ironic. They really didn't. If you watch the film again, you'll notice that there's a part where Debbie Reynolds is in the studio, or Kathy Selden, the character's in the studio, and she says, nothing will tear us apart. Our love will last till the stars turn cold. And it's not Debbie Reynolds. So I'm thinking to myself, wait the a minute. What's going on here? <laughs> What's going on? But um, yeah, it's it's all the way. It's To me, it's a perfect film. And I, I love every minute of it. And when I am, you know, feeling down or whatever, I can put that on. And it, it brings me a lot and of And that's joy. the point so, of these movies is is they're, yeah. they're really spirit lifters for for times in America where it was it was kind of tough out there where you didn't it, want to come where and it was have tough. a have a have a get dragged through the mud in your theater you wanted to take an adventure to yeah to escape and i think that um myself i think to myself in these times that we're in now i mean i know that the musical doesn't and we can talk about that when we talk about modern musicals that financially it doesn't make a lot of sense but um yeah i just think that that genre the spirit that of it it's the spirit of it is so needed in the human spirit to have that escapism that doesn't involve violence and you know that it's just yeah this wonderful thing and i um there's I was going to go back to the effortlessness of Gene Kelly's dancing when he is dancing and singing in the rain. It's so amazing. it's effortless. Is that your favorite number in this singing in the rain? Yeah, I mean, it's that's another one that makes me cry a little bit because I love it. Um, See, yeah, I'm yeah. crying again. It's okay. Crazy. It's okay. I know it's terrible. Um, But I think. Um, you are my lucky star. I love, I mean, there are a number of songs in there that I love, but most of them are recycled. There wasn't a lot of new material written for that movie. Well, so it's new to me. the fact so. that they took, 
Right, but the fact that they took it from old musicals and they recycled it and they made it so fresh and brand new and they and you know the equivalent of the top 40 of that time um the all they all became hits again from that film. So it's really um it's really just greatness all the way other than the <laughs> Other than the part where I'm kind of going, gosh, they bring in that Sid Charisse with her 10-foot legs. Very long. And she's slanking around. And then you're supposed to go back to wanting Kathy Selden to be with What the hell was that? What what just happened? And Rita Moreno, Rita Moreno, Oscar-winning Rita Moreno from West West Side Story, has a very, very teeny role in um in singing in the rain she's very very young she's got to be probably 15 in that movie and she's right at the beginning she's um she's one of you know when they have the red carpet and all the couples are going in to see the film at the beginning she's one of the girls on the red carpet but that was one of her first films so that's we'll definitely talk about her in a little bit i think yeah, for sure. I think the singing and the rain dances, it's it's art. That's that's moving art and it's it's amazing and it's it's magical. I think it's also the end of that number is the epitome of his hamminess when he's walking away and he's got these almost like like a his arms are stiff and his he's like a marching toy. Just watch the end yeah, of them as they're leaves. fading out. Watch watch Gene Kelly walking off the the street, and he's just I'm like, who the fuck walks like that? But he's 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 mugging. Yeah. Well, and I th- I think that it's because it's because the policeman is stopping him because he thinks he's been drinking, oh. and so Gene Kelly is trying to kind of like walk the sober walk. Yeah, for that the that's the way to convince me. It makes me think you're on PCP when you walk like that. <laughs> But anyway. Oh, come on. It's the Hollywood musical. That movie kicks Anything ass. Anything goes. Anything goes. We haven't even talked about Cole Porter. Maybe that's for a different podcast. Yeah. Uh, but uh, let's get into the 50s. So like we were saying, these movies, although fantastic in in some degree, didn't give the audiences a lot of emotional things to connect to i think america started to get more cynical they started wanting pathos in their story and they wanted the musicals to have songs that drove the plot emotionally and they wanted to connect emotion to the music and so then you really start to get into the 50s and 60s you get into the rogers and hammerstein era where they're just going to broadway basically and the the they are going the to technology Broadway. Technology has caught yes. up to the art enough to where they can start to adapt these Broadway musicals that are huge smash hits and people are connecting to, to the screen. So you get obviously Oklahoma, The King and I, Carousel. Um, I think Gigi is in the late fifties. American in Paris. Um, uh, oh my gosh, now I'm drawing a blank. Hang on, Music Man. Um, Music Man, also Broadway, My Fair Lady, which I really think that My Fair Lady is early 60s. Okay. Well, we'll we'll um, put them together. Yeah. So. You've got got this very 
um, the transition into literally lifting the Broadway show off of the stage and imagining it on film, word for word, character for character, instead of um, just loosely basing. It's they're really taking the the characters and everything lock, stock, and barrel and putting it um, on the screen. And that I, I loved. I mean, I was all about, of course, I mean, we're getting into 60, early 60s as well, but Sound of Music, mm-hmm. Music Man. I mean, it really, um, Rodgers and Hammerstein were um, South Pacific, very dominant in the uh, 50s and early 60s. And they were um, getting some of the actual actors and actresses that were playing the roles on Broadway were coming to Hollywood and doing the films. High Society is another great one, and that's um, Cole Porter. Is that Cole Porter? Um, And Bandwagon, a Vincent Minnelli um, musical, which is incredible. Um, So it was getting away from the screenwriters doing it, and they were taking the the shows and just putting them full full on on film so So. the first big one of there the first big breakthrough was oklahoma oh yes i'm sure people are they want they're like there's a professional singer on this podcast why does bob keep singing and she never (laughs) i honestly i say to you many times you're a wonderful singer i don't know why (laughs) i'm teasing this i'm not trying to sing right now i'm teasing but yeah oklahoma um is one of the first ones showboat is another one that was a huge hit that they they brought to the screen and they had um in that case they hired hollywood actors to do musical roles and dubbed a la lena lamont Uh but um yeah oklahoma was a big one and that's where um we saw shirley jones Uh who um came from the stage to the screen. Do you have any um, favorite Oklahoma numbers? You know, Oklahoma is um you know what? Um I think I'm just a girl who can't say no. <laughs> I, have I think is <laughs> What is it? Surrey with the fringe on top. Oh, Surrey with <laughs> Oh my god, how could I have missed that? Surrey, Surrey with the French on top. Surrey with the French on top in front of Ira. In front of Ira. I think that the I never pick the ones the guys are singing. Well, that's so, fair. Yeah, sir. Well, Surrey oh my God, what a classic! What a classic scene Harry met Sally yeah. with their Hollywood music. He's got his little. Yeah. He's got his little. And he puts his leg yeah. up, and he's got his little jeans on. He's got his yeah, little high tops, and he's, and he's singing on the karaoke machine, and Ira walks up. Oh, what a great bit. <laughs> and he ruins it all. You end up going In 10 rounds over this goddamn Roy, Ro- Roy Rogers. Rogers coffee uh, table. You singing Surrey with the fringe on top in front of Ira. Anyway. Um. And then she's so horrible, and, and we're getting off of musicals, but in... <laughs> In when Harry met Sally, when she starts singing, I need you to look at Billy Crystal's face because it's like, what, what, what is going on? 
It's so priceless. But um, back to yeah, back Oklahoma. to the Oklahoma. Oklahoma started out on Broadway under a different title, and people hated it. And you know, um, the world is full of stories of about not giving up. But Rodgers and Hammerstein kept reworking that over and over and over. And finally, they got to retitling it and tweaking the songs. And people started to go to see it. And then it ended up being one of the longest running shows on Broadway. And then they brought it to the screen. And you know who's in that movie um, is Rod Steiger, which is he's also in On the Waterfront. Yeah. So who's casting Rod Steiger in Oklahoma? I don't know, but they took a risk and I it paid off. Speaking of on the waterfront, Brando has a musical that we didn't mention. Uh, well, Guys and because Dolls. I was it's later. Oh, it's later. Um we could do a whole podcast just on risky casting in musicals. <laughs> and Marlon Brando is my top risky. Well, risky that's the whole thing though casting. it's like brando sings they're trying to sell tickets julie right so it's right like, oh, of course they are sings and but, they're like we don't care if it sounds good or not people are gonna come watch the train wreck they and also it was um he he was doing rex harrison started this thing where you don't really have to be a singer you can kind of just uh wrap your way you can talk your way through it Manuel. and that's what marlon brando he he just kind of talked his way through the film and it worked. I mean, I guys and dolls is not uh, huge on my list, but I love the show. I love the Broadway show. And, but also his, the, his romantic interest, she was also not a singer. So that film is, yeah, is not, la- is, not, ha- not has a lot of non-singing. Have any of the movies since, because I want to check back in on your top five. So we've had American in Paris, Singing in the Rain, or either of those on your top five? Yeah. Yeah. Singing in the Rain is number one. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to say American in Paris is probably two. Oh, wow. So we have three of the top five. Great. Okay. Yeah. And then... um, Oklahoma, not though. One... Oklahoma, no. And, you know, another one of my favorites in, in... it's in one of those situations where it's um, favorite, not necessarily best, but is Carousel. And that's also uh, um, uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein. And it stars Shirley Jones. And, um, uh, oh my gosh, is it Gordon McRae? Um, that's um, the male lead. And the show is... is considered by both Rogers and Hammerstein to be what they feel is their finest. And it is, it is a beautiful, beautiful musical. And I love singing a lot of songs from there. Is there anything that I would recognize? I've never seen the movie or heard of it. Gonna plead ignorance. Um, Is there any song that I would recognize? It's like, Oh shit. Yeah. Um, Oh gosh. I, I don't think there, I don't think there is. It's more, it's more, it's considered kind of an opera and it's it it is a more for more classically trained the singers are more classically trained but it's the plot is very it's very dark so it's not a typical um when you were talking about people demanding more emotional um emotionally challenging plots carousel really fit that bill as did um south pacific which also has 
um, melancholy and loss and more 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 controversial subject matter. King and I um, also not all happy go lucky. It's it has its very high drama. So it was um, it was taking more chances that way. And the music is is flawless. It's it's really beautiful. So it all of that translated well to the screen because I think they kept the characterization, the music, and the plot line intact right from the stage, and I think that's why it worked. I think if they tweaked it any, they probably would not have done as well. Yeah, it's in again. You said they lifted they lifted stars right out of the shows directly, and and there was and brought them and, and there, an was a, there was a hunger for it. People were really loving these ex- shows, and the movies were just another way they, to get them from. You don't have to take a trip to New York to see it. We're gonna. It, that was the whole deal. That was the whole deal, and they didn't need a lot of these in the early early musical films. These um, New York theaters would have a house orchestra. And the orchestra would be playing where when musical film in its infancy, people could go to the theater and have a Broadway show experience, but it, but it was for, you know, almost no money. So with, but, and that's on a different, (laughs) I'm getting off the subject, but the, um, in musicals in the fifties and early sixties, of course, box office is always, uh, an issue and the studio system which you and I have talked about was starting to crumble so they were starting to lose control of the stable of stars that they had trained and brought up through the ranks and taught and everything to be these big stars where they had groomed them that was falling apart so what was happening was they needed that musical talent so they would bring these Broadway stars in but at times they say well this Broadway star has been playing this for years I'm going to give you an example Julie Andrews played um, Eliza Doolittle in London in the West End for a very long time and then when they went to cast My Fair Lady Audrey Hepburn cast Audrey Hepburn and then they hired this incredibly brilliant woman named Marnie Nixon which we can talk about when we get to the more into the 60s she dubbed uh audrey's all of her singing so this thing of hiring non-musical people was a little bit of an issue that as they got into the 60s they gave julie andrews her due and she had the sound of music and she had mary poppins and they were taking more chances with Broadway people on headlining films. Well, let's get into Julie Andrews then because we're on the topic yes. because it's yes. it's huge. That's a really big moment in in musicals and movies is when Julie Andrews comes in and her first movie that she ever does, she wins the Oscar for, which is Mary Poppins. So right. the story, at least from what I was able to to do my research on, was she was approached. Actually, she was in Camelot before My Fair Lady, and she was in she was in Camelot, and Walt Disney came to see her in that, and he thought she was so amazing that he set up a meeting to 
offer her Mary Poppins. And she was holding out because she had then started My Fair Lady and knew that they were going to produce My Fair Lady. And so she said, well, I'm probably going to get this other movie first. And then, to her surprise, they cast Audrey Hepburn, which freed her up to do Mary Poppins. And so Mary Poppins and My Fair Lady came out the same year. And Mary Poppins was, was a bigger critical success. Well, and I think that they also had, when they cast Audrey Hepburn, the insane thing was their their reasoning was that they thought that Julie Andrews wasn't physically, you know, the part of Eliza Doolittle, which is kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But um, they there was a lot of talk at that time with the Oscars that the they gave Julie Andrews the Mary Poppins um, Oscar to compensate her for not for not having my fair lady which i think is it, that might just be a bunch of yeah. hollywood you never know. lore because but Hepburn yeah. wasn't even nominated and, no she wasn't i she wasn't nominated rex harrison i believe won for professor higgins but and he thanked both um, of them he thanked he julie thanked andrews both of and them. audrey Hepburn. Well, because he had played Professor Higgins with Julie Andrews on the West End. I mean, it was it, it like, was. What the fuck? Yeah, when you when you see that kind of casting decision, you're thinking, why would you not take this person? It just doesn't make any logical sense. But it's a it's a it's a money move, yeah. which we see happen all the time. So it still happens. So Mary Poppins is the highest grossing film of 1964. Yeah. It was nominated for 13 Oscars. Didn't win a lot, but it did win for Best Actress and Costumes. And and it was really an achievement in visual effects because it was kind of a culmination of everything that Walt Disney had learned over the last 30 years or so. He he kind of dumped into Mary Poppins. So you've got just this... You have animation. The animation with with the live action was was a massive deal. And it was a really good vehicle to test a lot of that stuff out. Did you, by chance, see the Saving Mr. Banks movie? I did. I did. And I saw it a long time ago. I mean, I saw it. I don't remember it very it, very well. Is is that is that with Emma Thompson? Yeah, so Emma Thompson is P.L. Yeah. Travers. And, yes. And Tom Hanks Tom is Hanks. Walt Disney. Yeah. But... It really gave a lot of good insight into the production of that movie or even just convincing her to help with the rights or to to give the rights to Walt. And there's a story that is P.L. Travers, as part of the contract, got a say in terms of who Mary Poppins was going to be. And she called Julie Andrews and Julie Andrews that day had given birth to her daughter, Emma, and she took the phone call and talked to P.L. Travers, and just by the sound of her voice, she signed off on Julie Andrews playing the Julie Andrews. And she's incredible in the film, and I can't say enough about Julie Andrews. I actually um, stalked her on, on at um, a stage door. Are you the person Broadway. going, I want to party with you? <laughs> Were you were you I, like the couple that I met up with see, Judy in the back of the yes, in the, in yes. the alley? That was me. I'm shameless. I was in New York and I went to see Victor Victoria, and that was the last um, show that she had done where she actually sang before she had this surgery where now singing is not in she her life. 
Were so, you like an Olsen um, twin fan? Were you like weeping and oh wetting yourself God. and falling I was down? backstage, yes, and I waited and I waited and she came out and she had her little dogs. And I'm thinking, please don't be a jerk, Julie Andrews. Please don't be a jerk because you're thinking she's just this lovely, wonderful person that I've admired my whole life. And she was just the loveliest I mean, you know, just this incredible glow and so kind. And yeah, I don't have any photographic proof of this meeting, but it was. It exists. It was really. It was magical. It's the same way. My whole life is delusion. The same way that you're Judy Garland's daughter. But it's. (laughs) So this movie was my childhood and a lot of people's childhood. You had this playing for me and my brother and your daughter all the time. Yeah. Uh, And it's really a great movie. And both of these movies, Sound of Music and and Mary Poppins, are great because there's so many kids in them. But it's. I remember being a kid and that scene where she's. They're cleaning up the room and then into spoonful of sugar. Yes. And and they're like snapping their fingers and the the room is getting cleaned. And I remember because I I was always living in my own filth as a kid. But I I was five or (laughs) six years old. And living in your own delusion. But I was five (laughs) or six years old. You're snapping my fingers, just praying that this room was going to clean itself. But... It's pretty clever, the movie. That's the sweetest thing. Of course. Well, because that's... So that's the cool thing about this movie is that when you're a kid, you're, like, bought into that magic. You know what I mean? And so when a movie has magic in it, it's it's, it's almost like, oh, this is a documentary. Right? This is real. Like, I, this is something that could happen in this my This is my... Yeah, this is my life. Right. And I think that with... Um, Travers didn't want... It to come to film at all. Am I correct? No, did she I did get not. That from she, that movie? she thought they were she did not. It. Yeah. Yeah. And so with um, Julie Andrews being just the perfection, and that's why it's hard. Once again, you and I have talked about in other, in other um, episodes about how I feel about other people playing roles that I've already seen. Um, when this new Mary Poppins came out, did I see it? I did not. I did not see this new Mary Poppins. You haven't met Emily Blunt in the backstage. No, it's just I can't. And I think Emily Blunt didn't come out with their little dogs and and hug me. No, I and I, I think Emily Blunt's an extremely talented person. I just the real Mary Poppins was great, and I don't need. And I I can go into another dissertation about the Sherman Brothers who wrote the most perfect music for that film. There's so many bangers. There's so many. You can't imagine how much talent was between these two guys. I bought, I rebought the Mary Poppins soundtrack back in the mid nineties. They did a reissue of it. I still listen to this soundtrack. It is so beautifully written. It it's um, lyrically, musically, and you knew that they wrote, it's a small world song. Um, they they wrote for Disney. They knew how to to um, enhance the films, make them hummable, make people remember them, sell records. They the Sherman Brothers had it all, and so, um, you know, if you think about it, D- Disney there has been a rebirth and a death of the Hollywood musical several times, as you pointed out in the beginning. Disney has never not been relevant. Yeah. In the that in in the musical 
there there is that that lull in the 70s where they were struggling but they literally in the 80s brought brought it back which i'm jumping ahead but yeah mary poppins sorry i gotta i gotta stay i gotta stay on track you gotta rein me in mary poppins but but mary poppins um uh grandma and grandpa took us to the theater to see it i've seen it you know i own it i've seen it a million times Uh, every child that comes to the house i show mary poppins it's timeless it's beautiful it's it's um you know it's once again it's a classic musical that's in my top five we're at, we've got four of the top five now four of the top five yeah now. now i'm worrying that you know i'm gonna You're run it I, i'm gonna have to go into my ten. but yeah <laughs> well, okay so but mary poppins is perfect it's so it's it's fun i I love Dick Van Dyke in this movie, even though the the accent is bad. The accent's off. Is it is it better than Lin Manuel? Yes, yes it's it? just slightly better. But Lin, I think Lin was also leaning into having a bad accent because that's part of the thing when you do the thing. You, you that's part of being Bert. But if he had that's a good, if, he had, if you had a good Cockney accent, it's like stop showing off, asshole. But it's I think he's so charming that he gets away with it. I love the. I just love the look of the movie. It's they, they, there's all this fantasy like watercolors that that are used and it's and it's very... it's England mm-hmm. it's England the way Americans picture England being which Disney always manages to capture that is our vision of what England is a it's a little kid our vision of what England and English people are like that that's what he has and the mom. The mom, um, and her name escapes me, but she's also a Broadway actress and did um, did a beautiful um, turn in a Sondheim play on Broadway. The mom that sings Sister Suffragette. Oh, I mean, yeah. she's brilliant. I love that mom. I mean, she's the worst mom ever. So but... I heard this. I heard this story that she originally was approached by Walt to do the movie and she thought she was going to be Mary Poppins. And Walt was like, oh, I actually have this other part which is equally as cool. And it's the suffragette bit. But Yeah, she's so good. Oh my God, I love that. And she's just oblivious. Do you have a favorite number from this movie? Um... Probably it's going to be something sappy. I'm going to say Feed the Birds. Feed the Birds, where she sings to the snow globe. Yeah, it's got to be my once again. I'm not crying at this You're moment, not but cry. it really does make it really does make it moves me. I really love that. I'm a simpleton, and so I like the chimney sweep bit. And of course. Yeah, I, I, I love the whole There's stuff. There's nothing time. simpleton. There's no simpleton about it. They're all great And I love Chim Chim and I, Chim Chim and I, Chim Chim Charoo. I wanted to be Dick but Van Dyke. I'm sure you did. And I, you know, I, I, once again, I've got to go back to me. And I've got to say, when you're asking me what my favorite songs are, I'm thinking to myself, what would I like to sing? That's what... That's where I go. Maybe we all I play mean, that I, game. Maybe that's why all my stuff's the the guy parts and all your all your music is the girl parts. Mine are all the sappy girl parts. Fair enough. And mine aren't even the upbeat girl parts. Mine aren't you know spoonful of sugar. Mine are all the ones that are you know the 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 sad ones. 
So, um, but sh you know, the whole thing, there's, there's just so much going on in that film. And I have to say that as generations of kids change and the phone is more into play and the iPad and all these different things, Mary Poppins is a harder gig with every generation of kids that I show Mary Poppins to, it's very hard to, for kids at maybe at four or five right now for Mary Poppins to hold their attention. Yeah. Which makes me sad. The animation yeah. is dated. So, so the fantasy yeah. element doesn't whisk you away as much. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it's not, it, it just isn't. Which is why they there. updated it, which is why they modernized it. They modernized it because I guess their whole thing was everybody should have their own Mary Poppins. And I say, no, I say, you know, somebody, I <laughs> say they've got, yeah, they've got, they've got all these other characters that they can identify with. So they don't need to mess with perfection. It's perfection. It was very good. So. Speaking of a movie that I actually, I put above Mary Poppins for me is a, another movie that you played for us a lot when we were kids and reminds me a lot of childhood but sound of music and so when you list out things that make a good movie you're thinking direction you're thinking production design you're thinking story and likable characters sound of music check 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 yeah. check yeah and that's yeah. before you even talk about the music in this movie i now i've got to say yeah, I think that Sound of Music, I'm going to switch because I do think Sound of Music I would do above Mary Poppins. Julie, the way this movie looks, I know. if I pushed I know. pause on, because I just rewatched it, if I pushed pause on my TV and just watched the movie, it's visually stunning. It may, It's I have friends incredible. that are huge fans of this movie and they want to take a trip to Austria just to hang out in Austria. And it's because okay, it's like a I, commercial. I, I'm going to tell you something. Do you know who took that trip to Austria and, and did the Sound of Music trail? Mike Ochter. Interesting. Your down the street neighbor who's best friends. <laughs> My with down the with street neighbor. Right? Yeah. So he did. He, he did went and place. went to all the all the places. Yeah. All the. Was he, he dressed up like Christopher climb, Plummer? Yes, he climbed. No, he was dressed. You know, in the little shorts, oh. the little leader. Oh, the later No, he climbed every mountain. He forded every stream. Of course, he did all of it. Yeah. The and I and that is a very popular tourist destination, strictly because of that film. And I've seen the stage version. I saw it a couple years ago. It came through Broadway in Chicago, and you don't get the visuals. The, vi the this is actually a movie that's heightened by film and, and by, not by stage because you don't have those incredible sweeping shots when she's when the hills are alive and she's up you know she's in the alps and she's running around i mean yeah they you can't capture that on the stage no i mean it's in the the casting of christopher Plummer, who you know they could have dubbed his voice i mean every every captain von trapp that was cast on broadway they were all classically trained singers he was just a, once again, he was a talking singer and couldn't be better. So good. Christopher Plummer is the quintessential Captain Von Trapp. I mean, he's, I've had a crush on Christopher Plummer since I saw that movie in the movie theater. He's still I just doing think it. he's, he's still doing it. He's still a wonderful working actor, but he's, he'll always be Captain Von Trapp to me. 
always. So this this is a really good movie to accent just the changing of the guard in terms of the style of story that's being told too, because the characterization in this movie is really fleshed out and it really hits you emotionally. And so you've got the you've got Julie Andrews on one side and she loves everything about life. She loves everything about nature. She celebrates individuality. And then you've got him on the other side, completely other side of the personality pole where he is all about structure and discipline and this kind of militaristic lifestyle. But they find things about the other person that they love and admire and they, they grow together as people and come to a compromise and I just think characterization-wise, it's it's really every single character is so fleshed out. Maybe not as much as the, the two love interests, but yeah. you've got, set, what is it, seven kids in that? Yeah. And they all, they all, all have a little character. Very, they all have specific personalities. And I think a lot of that, too, when the music was composed, they all, their personalities are brought forth in their singing parts as well. But I think that um, when you're talking about the 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 two lead romantic characters, I mean, clearly Christopher Plummer has this um, sadness from the loss of the mother mm-hmm. of his children, too, that he carries. So you can feel that under the surface. But um, she brings him to life. And, yeah, each kid um, has their own adventures and their own um quirks and and they're memorable and they're memorable yes absolutely and i remember as a child it's i was just with a friend of mine and we were talking about um marionettes i don't ask me why i don't know how we got on the subject and i said you know that old marionette conversation you have it's really weird how i'm a little preoccupied with marionettes and she said, it's the sound of music. And I looked at her and I said, absolutely, that whole go- lonely goat herd. I mean, when I saw that as a little kid, the little marionette show they do, I was mesmerized. I don't think I've ever gotten over my obsession with marionettes from that scene where the little kids are doing that puppet show. I thought, God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I loved the song. I just, yeah, it's it's magical, really. It's funny that you say about the songs because my favorite song in this movie has changed since I've grown into an adult. Because when I was younger, I really liked Do Re Mi and I liked the favorite yeah. things and yeah. kind of the kids, the, the songs with the kids because you're a kid. The sing-alongs, but the sing-alongs. now I'm attracted to the emotional weight of something like Edelweiss, where like oh. you talked about earlier with the context of My Fair Lady, it's like the, the, the or not, uh, excuse me, Meet Me in St. Louis. That what you said earlier with the context of Meet Me in St. Louis, the context of him when he plays that song, it's very moving and very moving, you start to, very multi layered. Yeah, and as an adult, you're that that hits you, you know, and you're going, oh man, and so it, it heightens the song more. So. You, you just you take different things at different parts of your life which which is always fun too which means which means that it's still relevant i mean and i in that on different levels because when he sings edelweiss and his daughter um liesel you know gives him the guitar and says you know 
why don't you do this? And he starts singing and it's, he's longing for his old Austria Mm -hmm. and Edelweiss in many ways became politically a, a song that represented something much different than what he knew growing up. So it's, um, it's just a profound sadness that he has when he's singing it. And then his, loyalty to his nation and seeing what's happening is so traumatic for him and it's you get all of that from and you have to admit it's a very simple rendition it's not showy it's very very um spare and it it's really an incredible moment and i think that um that uh, once again back to me that when <laughs> when i've sung in public for money <laughs> i edelweiss is one that i sing a lot and i also sing i also sing um um uh my favorite things a lot and and it, i i sing a lot of oscar um hammerstein and um but that the one song that your mom and I were completely obsessed with as teenagers when we would watch that movie and we still had a crush on Christopher Plummer is, um, it's the song Something Good. When the two of them, Julie Andrews, or the, um, Fraulein Maria and Captain Von Trapp are out in the gazebo mm-hmm. and they're talking and that obnoxious baroness woman has left and they're talking, they're moving their relationship in a romantic direction. And she sings a song, you know, there must've been in all of my wicked youth and childhood, I must've done something good. And your mom and I would swoon over that because it was so romantic and slightly forbidden because she's this nun that is falling in love with this guy and um if you were to ask your mom what her favorite song is that in the movie that's her favorite one it's really it's a hotsy totsy song it's a little off the beaten path very simple very quiet not a sing-along in fact if i say something good to somebody from sound of music they probably don't know what i'm talking about but, um, yeah, that's one of my favorites in there, for sure. Really great movie. Incredibly directed performance. Performance. And it's Julie Andrews a couple time off, the, just a couple movies in. She she had two classics. She she got it. And then what other, what else did it win Oscar-wise? Can you remind me? So this movie won Best Picture, Best Director, yeah. Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Actress, and Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Peggy Wood. And Best Film Editor. And you know who is in that movie as well in the beginning? Um, uh, mm-hmm. Maria. The song Maria. Oh, now that's going to be in my in head for that, another four days. In that song. So catchy. Singing at the beginning, there's a nun that sings a solo. And that's Marnie Nixon, who is... The person that dubs everybody in that's not a singer in Hollywood in musicals, 1950s and on, pretty much, if they hired 
an actress or actress sing. to pl- who couldn't sing. Marnie would do all the singing and got no billing. So it's ultimately the same as singing in the rain, like no, no love. recognition. They would just they would just pretend that she didn't do it. And she just recently passed away, and she had a career as a voice coach for uh, the rest of her life. She was really incredible. But she did My Fair Lady, and she did West Side Story, and she did she did a lot of work. Well, let's and she let's jump into West yeah. Side Story then. So just just yes. a few that I want to, as we wrap up here, a few that I wanted to talk about. So West Side Story, uh, Bernstein, the musical composer, yeah, Leonard, Leonard Bernstein. Bernstein. Yeah. Is he, so he's complicated, right? Like That's the whole thing about this is he's really hard to sing and dance to, just the way his compositions yeah. are. He's, he's more, well, it's two people that are complicated because Bernstein is, um, he's a conductor. He's, he, he's. He's not traditionally somebody that was considered for a musical, a, a musical score. Like not, he was more symphonic. Mm-hmm. So, um, so then, and then you've got Stephen Sondheim as a, a very young Stephen Sondheim, who also had a very um, untraditional timing for vocals which you know from uh, Sondheim that you've heard he he his timing is not a typical singer's timing it's he's more like a mathematician so he does a lot of unusual um and you can feel it in West Side Story that the timings are not in that traditional chorus verse chorus um, all of these different forms that singers were used to so the two of them together made it much more complicated and to me it's so interesting that that movie it, it is it, it sounds different I, I don't know all the technical things that you just laid out for our people so i appreciate that this movie is just really cool cinematically i like the way that it opens with that sweeping shot and the the, the whistle over the top uh the the movie really pops with a lot of color and it's just very visually it, it feels very backlotty you know, it feels like and, a backlot, but it, it's just very visually appealing. But do you feel, don't you feel the, there's a change. You feel the change musical wise from something like The Sound of Music yeah. to A West Side Story. You can feel the political change. Yeah, people You can are feel the change in our nation. In the 60s. Yeah, yeah, you can feel the change in our nation. And so you can feel... Not and of course the subject matter is completely something that was not dealt with a lot in in musical theater. Maybe a little bit in Showboat, ironically, or Porgy and Bess, or something like that. But the 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 subject matter and the dealing of with gangs and violence and there's white privilege. They during the 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 I want to live in America song. They're talking about how much easier it is to be white. You know, it's like absolutely, oh, man, we're still absolutely, here? obviously. And yeah, and so you can feel even in the cinematography, you can feel that um, that grittiness that was not there um, in previous musicals. You can even though it is, it feels like it's on a back lot. And by today's standards, it feels very 
um, washed, very whitewashed, if you'll excuse the expression. Oh, yeah. But it's well, very... Well, just white actors is, with, with makeup on playing right, Puerto Ricans. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, brown, brown face. I mean, there's a ton of it. I mean... I will say the two leads in this movie are the worst part of the movie. They have... No, you you don't buy their relationship at all. The two most memorable characters are Bernardo and Anita. Yeah, and Anita won the Oscar. And she is Anita won the Oscar. Amazing in this. She's amazing. And even yeah, he though, I think he's really good. And I this is the last of the rewatches. I watched it right before we recorded, and I wanted to send him some love. The guy who played Bernardo because he's very grounded. Yeah. You can feel a lot of intensity in in his just his eyes. And he, the way he dances is very, it fits his character really well. He's very quick and uh, almost kind of ninja-like with, with some of his dancing. Right, right. And I was More just, street, more street. Yeah, I was really sad when, he, when yeah. he leaves the movie. He's, he's, a, he's really good. The actor himself brings a lot without doing too much, where the other actors are completely in music theater acting land, and you don't buy their relationship at all. Well, that's, and I think Natalie would, I mean, she's not, and she was also cast in Gypsy in the later 60s, and she's not a a musical person. So then in that part of it is, is difficult. It's really difficult for me. In fact, it kind of, West Side Story is not big on my list for that reason. I just always find it difficult to have people that are not singers and not dancers being cast in these lead roles. It bothers me. So, and the male lead actually, um, is it George, George checklist? Well, he's the worst part because he was just at the Redford theater last night. Well, did you go stage door him? And did he have the two little, I didn't go stage. I, (laughs) I didn't go stage door him because I wasn't home, but I stinks. Tell him he stinks from me. I there is no way he's that riding. guy. There is no way that guy is in a gang, let alone leads a gang. Though that gang would have beat his ass. The actual, just the way the actor was to just, his own yeah, gang. Be, his own gang would have beat him up. Fucking nerd! Like that guy stinks. So, so that that part of it is um is weak. And, and then the ballet, you know, the I ballet don't know dancing. If we ever saw fights, him again. The ballet fight dancing is very funny. It's like yeah, these, yeah. The the swan yeah. dive tackle, but uh, there's there's one funny bit. Uh, so the Officer Krupke song. Yes, uh, yes. They, I was gonna bring that. So up. Larry David has a whole bit that gets him into Larry David trouble on Curb Your Enthusiasm, where he's singing, "Hey, Officer Krupke, Krupp you," and he he's passing by someone, and they think he says "fuck you." And so he's like, no, no, it was Kropke. It was Krop, Krop you. So anyway. Kropke. Yes. From West Side Story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, that was one song, I believe, that Sondheim was singularly responsible for writing. Oh, Sondheim? Yeah. As Krop, is Kropke. Well, yeah. we'll get to him and in I, part two. Yeah. And I think that, um, that, that, particular movie i mean there are a number of songs that are very very uh moving and beautiful in that but i would i think that this reimagining that they're doing on broadway right now that i think is either in previews or it's already opened 
probably would give you a better idea of the way it really was supposed to be and not the Hollywood version. Um, but, uh, you know, the, in the new version that they have on the stage on Broadway right now, they took out I Feel Pretty because they didn't think that that was I feel pretty. Um, a good song That's to good. keep. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, um, it's it, I just can't buy Natalie. I just, I can't, I, he's, he's not even an entity in my, I, I don't even yeah. register. I don't even he's know if he did red. another film after Get that. Get out of here. Go to the Redford Yeah, why didn't Theater. they put Marlon Brando? Why yeah. didn't they put Marlon Brando in that one? You know, I just, um, but she's, I just, there's not a moment in there that I buy her at all. So that's, and she's a wonderful actress. I love Natalie Wood, but not in that role at all. So West Side Story is actually the woman that taught my online school that I dropped out of. Online school dropout. Online school dropout. I... <laughs> Go back to online school. That is her number one favorite musical, which is maybe why I dropped out. Because, you know, who's picking West Side Story as their favorite Hollywood musical? It doesn't make no, any sense. No, probably not. Wanted to... So the last couple I wanted to bring up before we, we play out the... Play out the, our final this, number this part, before Gene yeah. takes us away. Music Man, uh, giving us salesmen a bad name. Oh, but I love it. Mus- musicals love con artists. They love dirty you know scoundrels. It's all about the con. Goes. It's all about the con. If you can put on it's... a costume on top of your costume, you're trading. You're tricking us. Yes. Yeah, if you have glasses on and then take them. Yeah, I mean it's all and in that. That role um, has been interpreted many, many times. That they've revived Music Man. They're reviving it again on Broadway in the spring. And I think... Do you uh, know anyone that... personally that's in it? <laughs> Sutton Foster! <laughs> I don't... I mean, I would say knowing her personally is a stretch. But no, Um, what's the Australian actor Hugh that Jackman. was in Les Mis? Hugh Jackman is, is playing the Music Man. I love his um this actor's interpretation who also was in victor victoria with julie andrews it's robert preston robert preston he is excellent in that in that role i thought after he did that role he'd never be able to play a different thing again but he ended up being a better actor and he could do other stuff but yeah i thought he defined that role and he did play it on broadway and shirley jones is wonderful and there are a few musical numbers in there that I'm thinking, why is this here? Um, There's one really good but... one. The Mary and the Librarian was fun. Because this yeah. was another first time yeah. watch for me. And yeah, it was it was, it was was a fun show. And they sing a lot about Iowa. It's... There was a bit in here they that sing... <laughs> was, there was a bit in here that was definitely in The Simpsons. And so I realized that that's what they were referencing. Yeah. They're selling the monorail. There's this guy that's trying to that's sell them right. on the Simpsons monorail. monorail. He's like, the monorail? See what the monorail see? <laughs> no, I love it. God, it's brilliant. So, I love it. Anyway. Well, that, but I think that in Music Man, um, that is, they, it was like they just picked up the whole set and everything and brought it and put it on a soundstage. It, there is nothing that they changed about that. Because I've seen it on the stage and I've seen it in film. Now, it was written by a person that I think 
was known for writing marching band music. And I'm sure you can tell by the songs that there's a little bit of a kind of marching band feel to his yeah. um, music. I was also, I, but, there wasn't really a lot of songs that I was into. Yeah, it's not changing. It's not changing the face of uh, Hollywood musicals for sure. And the last one but entertaining. I wanted to bring up today was... Bye bye bird he. Why does she say he at the end of the bird he song? I don't know. Um, I you know, and that was her. That was her big. That was her big debut. I mean, that was really. I I think I'm in love with her though. With Anne Margaret, very nice. Oh yeah, she's um, she's you talk about over the top. I mean that role. Well, this whole thing over is over the, the top. top. This this yeah. was everyone wore. If you wore a dress, it all had to be one color. It was just green hair, green dress, green shoes. Yeah, and yeah, the, that's very nineteen. And Paul Lind is definitely straight with kids. <laughs> In his little, I love Paul Lind. His little science experiments, but. Paul Lind, and then the really weird casting in that is Janet Lee, and they make her a brunette because I believe that the character on Broadway was originally a brunette. And Janet Lee, I mean, no. you know, she's in Psycho. Yeah, she's, the, she's, in, she's blonde. She's in she's an MGM staple, and they put her in this film. She's a and Hitchcock. I just don't yeah, think she's that a Hitchcock she was, chick. Yeah, I didn't think she was. Uh, I didn't think that was good casting. But yeah, the movie's very entertaining, and you know what? It's a great show for a high school to yeah. do. It's really so. It's not that taxing. It's a it's a gateway you know, it's... into musicals, probably for a lot of kids. A lot of people doing high school theater, Absolutely. and you're going, "Oh, I could get into this. What else is oh, out I here?" Oh, I like this. Oh. I can talk on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, man, you tired? Do you feel like you just did a, I, a review? I do. I feel like I did. I feel like I did a Hollywood musical marathon. Well, that's. I'm exactly hoping that. I mean, there are a lot of things that I didn't talk about because you know I go on my segues. Like I didn't talk about Bing Crosby and his influence, and I didn't talk about Frank Sinatra oh, well, and his early career. We'll have time to come but, back. But you know, and get we'll it. do it. This was just we'll supposed to be it. a little parachute in snapshot and. Uh, thanks for coming on. We're going to come and, and get the cartoon in, in a oh few weeks God. here. And you'll be able you to talk about know. the 70s into current time musicals. So, Yeah, do you have a, a long list well, or well, no? It, it might not be two hours. But <laughs> thank you for coming on and talking with me today. Thank you this so much for having me. You know what? This is my dream. It's my dream. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank Thank you. you. It's always a thrill to be back. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Yes, yes. If you liked what you heard, and if you like movie talk, that's what we do on here all the time. So like and subscribe. We just talk all the time. Like and and subscribe. Float away on the music I'm playing you out with, and have a good rest of your day, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much, sweet. Singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feel, and I'm happy again. I 
I'm laughing at clouds so dark up above. The sun's in my heart and I'm ready for love. Let the stormy clouds chase everyone from the place. Come on with the rain, I have a smile on my face. I walk down the lane with a happy refrain, just singing, singing.